0: so many people are going to tell you that you can't do it but we're here to tell you that you definitely can right let's do a podcast welcome back rebels hey rebels i'm super pumped this week here i'm pretty tired this week <laughs> very, very tired. I almost had a little sleep about an hour ago. Yeah, I suppose our busy week that we were talking about last week has continued on into this week. Yeah. Um, but I i don't know, I'm really energised. I think a lot of it is because um, we've had just so many emails this week and and DMs and all of that sort of stuff. We've had so much feedback from last week's episode. Yeah. Literally a friend of mine called me yesterday. She was halfway through the Cindy episode and was just like, this is this lady is amazing. Um, yeah, loved that episode. And it turns out that a lot of, of you guys did too one of the interesting things was that my my friend um, Charlie who will probably be listening to this one of the things she said to me was that she liked how we're prepared to get on guests that aren't us yeah had that feedback quite a bit through the show i guess are quite mixed cuz it's quite an array of people yeah and i think that's because that's the best way to learn cuz if we just got on a load of like blokes in their 30s it would all, like we'd all be saying pretty much the same yeah. thing Yeah, i think you like- learn
1: from other people like if whatever you're doing look for don't just look in your your niche you can get experience from anywhere
0: yeah absolutely so we're going to continue to bring you incredible guests from all over the gambit i'm actually really considering getting on someone that i really don't like oh i know and you probably know who i mean think of who i really really don't like who makes content on the internet like oh, i ma- know exactly so he's made a lot of money and but I, I really don't like him but i feel like he does say some stuff because i have read his books and have got a lot from his books even though I don't like him as a person. So maybe that might be something to consider. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe he might win me over.
1: Yeah, maybe. Well, he's very good
0: at winning people over and selling. So, Yeah, yeah. we'll see. Um, but yeah, so basically we're just going to continue to bring on guests that we think offer value that have different perspectives because you can learn from absolutely anyone. And it's becoming clear to us that, that our audience is so diverse from all kinds of backgrounds and ages and everything, which is absolutely incredible. So thanks for listening, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. We're going to do a little thing this week. Today's guest, Adam J.K., has wrote a good little book. He has wrote a good little book. He's written uh, five good books, actually. He's um he's quite prolific on the old writing front. And this is a, a wonderful little book. So we have a copy of The Things Are What You Make Them which is Life Advice for Creatives by Adam J. Kurtz. And it is just that, it's Life Advice for Creatives. And one thing that we sort of talk to Adam about in the show is is how he's able to say things really succinctly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he does that in the book and I think someone will find it super interesting. So how can someone win a copy of Adam J.K.'s book? I'm glad you asked, David. Someone can go to iTunes and leave a review and then we'll pick a winner next week. Yeah, so screenshot your review. So even if you've already left us a review, you can still enter. Um, But we would like it if you haven't left us a review, we really would love it if you could leave us a review, a new one, because it really, really, really helps us. So if you write us a review, be honest. Like, if you think we're rubbish, then you can say that. But hopefully you don't. Leave us a review and post a screen grab on your story on Instagram. Tag us at rebelscreate um, and we will send out a book to the winner. And if you don't have Instagram, just send it to connect at rebelscreate.com. And uh, yeah, we've got a few minutes now to quickly talk about money. money. on the On the topic of Instagram, we got a lot of DMs this week. And one of the most interesting ones was someone reaching out and asking about money. Yeah, how do you price your work? I think that's what she was really struggling with. Which, I mean, we all struggle with how to price things in the beginning. I think that's like, it's the hardest thing. And it's a difficult answer to give because there's no set answer. I can't say to you, oh, you should be charging this much for your work. Yeah, I think one
1: thing that um, some people talk about is pricing based on the value that the customer is going to receive. For example, if Bob's sandwich Shop down the road wants a logo off you, they, and they don't have a huge budget for that, you can't charge them more than what their budget is. Whereas if like Coca-Cola come to you and, and want a logo redesign, then you can obviously charge a lot more because to that company, that logo means a lot more. So that's one interesting way to think about pricing.
0: Yeah, I think something that, that kind of really makes me angry is when Big companies sort of say, oh, we, we haven't got a budget for that. And especially if they're asking creatives to do um, free work, because we always harp on the, yes, you definitely should do free work until it becomes ex- exploitation, yeah. which does happen a lot. I, I mean, I've had emails from people in the past saying, oh, we've got no budget for this. And like specifically I'm thinking of TV because TV are the worst yeah. for Because they think that everyone will just just bow down to them because they're TV. But like I've had TV companies, they'll get in touch, they'll be like, oh, can you do this for free? And um, but because there's no budget in it, but it'd be great exposure, blah, blah, blah. But then if you ask the question like, are your cameramen getting paid? Is the sound guy getting paid? Are you getting paid person sending me this email? The answer will be yes to all of those. Mm. It's not that they don't have the budget. It's that they don't want to give you the budget. And I think in those situations, it's knowing your value. And in all negotiations, it's knowing your value. And I think the biggest thing that... Um, I've, I've listened back to Cindy twice now because I just... I fucking love that episode and one of the things she said in there that's really really stuck with me is about your value and people will perceive your value to be that which you project out and I think that's super fucking powerful yeah
1: that comes down to branding as well like if you brand yourself as something that is of high quality people will see that in you and pay that if everyone in your industry is charging 60 pounds an hour for something and you just charge 80 pounds an hour but you can give reason why you're that much better then do that yeah and as Cindy talked about last week Like just charge the highest number possible before it makes you laugh. Because then it's like, that's something that you know, like deep down, you know, you can charge that. Um, And another thing to think about as well, if you're a freelancer working on your own and someone comes to you with a design project or any project for that matter, like you are your own agency. Like don't just charge it as what you would do. If if they went to a kind of relative agency there'd be a creative director, there'd be like graphic designers, there'd be lots of different people working on this project. So if you're a freelancer on your own, think about you're doing lots of different roles within your job, you're not just doing the one thing. So charge for all of those different pieces put together. So if you're basically managing it, you're doing a graphic design, and you're writing a copy for it, treat yourself like a director of Designer and a copywriter, and charge for each of those things separately, but put all into one. Don't just think because you're one person that you should be charged. You should charge less.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think um, people like a lot of people probably don't realise that they're not charging enough um, because they have, they feel bad about charging money or whatever it is. Um, the thing that really, really blew my, my mind was when we realised a few years ago that if we charged anything under a £1,000, we'd actually be losing money.
1: Yeah. So I think as soon as it's below a certain threshold, like if you've got overheads such as rent, like your rent, basically you need to earn a certain amount per hour just to cover that. So as soon as you're putting your time involved in that, and materials and anything else that goes into making that project
0: it's charging for your time isn't it yeah it's, creatives charge for the product but they don't charge for the time i think i think you have to work
1: out what your rate would be kind of an hourly thing what you'd be happy with measure that against what you think the value of the product that you're supplying is if those two don't match up and you're actually well if you're like okay well this website's gonna be two thousand pounds i and then in your head you've got, I charge around £100 an hour, but it's going to take you 40 hours to do, then that's suddenly, you're probably going to lose money on that. So that's, that's two ways to think of it. Think of like an hourly rate, but don't charge per hour, charge for the actual product. Yeah. And then that also comes down to what value does that have to the client? If it's a bigger brand, there's more risk in employing someone to do something. So for example, like Coca-Cola, if they have a rebrand and it's bad that is massive that's like that'll be in the press that'll be all over like one little change could mean they drop millions of pounds worth of sales so that's why their logos and stuff cost so much money because if it's wrong just that like little psychological thing that makes you not as appealed to it as another brand they're going to lose millions so that's why they're
0: prepared to pay so much money for that product, because mm, they know they're getting they know they're getting quality, yeah, and I think that again that comes back to valuing yourself and and knowing that it is okay. If people want your work, then it means that you're providing something of value mm-hmm. um, and so it's just ascertaining what that what that number is.
1: And I think when you're getting
0: started as well,
1: start somewhere where you feel like, I'm comfortable, I can charge this, it won't be too much, uh, and then slowly increase it, keep increasing it and keep increasing it over time. And you'll finally get to a stage where you're getting more people say no than yes and then you'll probably realize then you've hit your threshold I think kind of testing the waters like if it's your first ever project go in with something that you're comfortable that my time is worth this and then increase that over time because you'd be surprised at how much like value you can provide another thing to think about is what would your service look like if you times your hourly rate by 10 like like if you instead of charging hundred pounds an hour if you charge a thousand pounds an hour what additional services and what additional things can you provide mm. that's a way to kind of really think about
0: your product and think of ways to increase it and better it yeah that's really good advice i mean there's we could probably do a whole episode on just on this so um but i hope hopefully those those tips are useful and i think it's definitely something that we'll we'll talk about again I mean, in fact we do touch on that topic in this week's episode also And uh, this week's episode, as we have mentioned, is with Adam J. Kurtz. Adam J. Kurtz is an artist and author. Adam has published five books. He's collaborated with brands like Urban Outfitters and Doc Martens. And he's spoken on stages across the world from New York to Australia. Adam is most well known for his scribbled post-it notes in his now infamous handwriting. And he has a way of hitting on exactly what we're all thinking. In this episode, we talk about Instagram,
1: creativity and the importance of honesty.
2: I don't really have to play nice and I don't really have to bullshit. And so there are things that I'm saying on social media that every creative can relate to, but that not every creative can safely communicate because you don't want to alienate clients. You don't want to lose a gig.
0: Hi, Adam Jacobs. Oh my God,
2: that's the intro?
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, wow, that's yeah. amazing. Usually it's like 30 seconds of like, brought to you by Dropbox. <laughs> um, to clarify, this this podcast is not brought to you. Wait, is yeah. it?
1: No, not not it's not, not. Not that we know of. Not,
2: <laughs> not brought to you by Dropbox. Uh, is this podcast brought to them by anyone no, other it's brought, than
0: us? Brought to them by the Creative Rebels. Wow. Just us. So we've been quite deliberate. We've been approached by some quite technology companies that you would have heard of who have wanted to sponsor the podcast. And we don't want to just do read ads at the beginning. Mm. Um, What if you did them at the end? (laughs) We could do that. But I think a lot of people skip through ads so yes. I think that if we are going to be working with brands then we want to do something different and innovative and maybe put on some events or something like that and go, go down that kind of brand partnership route rather than just your standard read at the beginning of the podcast because I think it annoys people and we don't want to annoy our audience
1: we also use the brand money for something that's like, useful like to help grow the audience or help benefit the audience in some way rather than just like i oh, I'm going to sit and read a script for the next two minutes And
2: wow uh, if you're just joining me, my name's Adam J. Kurtz, and I'll be interviewing the hosts of the Creative Rebels podcast about their podcast and their careers. No, that's that's not true. I'm I'm the guest on this podcast. Um, but we are sitting at a round table in my kitchen in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And there is something about this round table that makes me feel like I could maybe be the host.
0: Yeah, that's probably yeah. what it is. We're all on
2: equal footing, which is really nice. It's definitely
0: a different dynamic to to what to how we've done them normally. It's normally us um, t- intimidating the guest. I'm not intimidated at all, Shit. and I'm sitting in a more comfortable chair
2: than you. This is actually like a power oh, move, isn't it? Yeah, Shit. yeah. This is yeah. planned.
1: Shit, it, was it wasn't
2: on. wasn't planned at all. Uh, it just happened this way. So people are fucking weird, are not they? Um, <laughs>
0: i'm like ah shit where is he going with this (laughs) um on your instagram if you post a picture of your husband or your regular life you lose a bunch of followers yeah that's true that's usually true
2: um you know people don't really follow me on instagram for me they they like sort of the cute stuff that i share on instagram and uh well, this is sort of a whole other thing, right? Um, some people use Instagram as a portfolio, and some people use it as sort of like a tiny media outlet. Mm-hmm. And I use it as a combination portfolio, media outlet, soapbox, journal, and sketchbook. And so sometimes I'm sharing something I've made 30 seconds before, and then sometimes I'm posting an advertisement for a published work that you can purchase. And then sometimes I'm posting a picture of my gay husband cause he's hot and people are just like, what you're gay. And I'm like, why do you think everything is pink? Like, why <laughs> is this a surprise to you? Like I posted an inspirational meme yesterday. Like, what do you mean you didn't know? Um, so definitely when we got married, you know, there were a few comments that were like, this is disgusting. And I was just like, literally fuck off. Like I don't, I just don't care. Like I have a lot of followers. I just don't need you. Um, But I do like to call attention to it. I like to remind people that that hate and bigotry um, and closed mindedness that that's all out there and that exists. And um, despite Instagram often being very like that fabricated, bright, happy, shiny, salesy aesthetic, um, you know, people people are on there. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, there are there are shitty people on there, too.
0: And you've grown a remarkable following on there, but you you don't do it in the curated way. Like you can, you will literally just throw something up that you're working on or that you're you're trying out, which is if I read any blogs on how to get popular on Instagram, that's not the suggested advice.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't really think that we would start this by talking about um, Instagram, but I guess I deserve it. (laughs) <laughs> um I you know what I do think about what I'm posting because I like to space out my colors. I like to have a nice mix of of my, you know, I've sort of settled in on my color palette, which is primary colors plus a little bit. And I do like to mix up like here's an object, here's a product for sale, here's like a handwritten aphorism. But but no, for the most part, it isn't like highly manicured. Um, because that's boring and that's so much work. It's like I already have other jobs like I don't want social media to be a job too. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is, I mean, as I'm saying this in my head, I'm like, Adam, that's bullshit. It's totally a job. Um, but at least I want it to be a fun job. So yeah. Um, I don't schedule things out really in advance and I don't have necessarily like the best way of writing a caption and I don't know. I'm just trying to be a person. I think that's it is that it's actually very hard. Um,
1: to be authentic.
2: Life. No, I was gonna say all of oh. life is actually very hard. Like it's just hard <laughs> to be alive. Um, there's no need to like make my own life harder. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like that's sort of been a core theme in my creative work and in my career and in how I make business decisions. Is just like be a person and look for other people and um, and trust your gut.
0: What did you think we would ask you first?
2: I don't know. Maybe something about graphic design. Just you know because of the podcast and all.
0: boring.
2: (laughs) It's fine. You know what? I'm honestly very used to people asking a lot of questions about Instagram. Um, I did a, I did an interview recently for something else that I have a feeling they won't even use my, my bit. Um, but the focus was on being an internet artist and and an Instagram artist. And the truth is before people were calling me an Instagram artist, they were calling me a Tumblr artist Mm -hmm. and an internet artist and I really do think that people look for graspable labels so that they can digest what something is. And um, you know, my work is maybe too cute to be real art, so it, it has to be sort of qualified as like Instagram art or internet art or
1: what would accessible you define yourself art. As?
2: I would say artist um, because I think the word art. Okay, so let me take a step back. So here's how I define art. I think art is when you. You feel something and then create work that evokes that emotion in others, mm-hmm. and that is a very broad definition because almost anything is art. I think that writers are artists. I think painters are artists. Of course, we we appreciate that, um, you know, all the fine arts. But I think also a lot of people making things on the internet. I think certain types of coders who are doing like web-based projects like that's art. There's so many types of art out there. Um, but sometimes it's hard for people to, to wrap their brains around it. And so, used to be a Tumblr artist, now I'm an Instagram artist, and uh, no amount of new work or projects or tangible goods uh, or, or books published with Penguin Random House, the world's largest publisher, again, in the world, um, no amount of those accomplishments seem to, uh, bump me out of this like very narrow category. Yeah. And apparently I'm bitter about it because that's what I, I'm looking at your faces and I'm like, Oh, I'm ranting, aren't I? I've had a lot of coffee today.
0: Hey, it's all good. I, <sighs> I deep mean, breaths. Instagram, um, I don't know, man. So- Instagram
2: blows. I hate it. I hate Instagram. Um, but I also love Instagram.
1: What do you love about it? I love
2: connecting with people directly. I love that there are no barriers. I love that I don't need permission. I love that I can post something and reach more people than like, if I had a PR agency that like got a story placed on a popular website that shared it out and still only got 5,000 views on a post. You know what I mean? Like certain websites, like will show the amount of views publicly. And like, I've been written up by like Forbes and like, you know, we'll get less than 5,000 views on a post and you're thinking like, Oh, it's Forbes. So that's like, that's a real business adjacent publication. That's really cool. And then it's like, I can Instagram like me kissing my husband and it's seen by a hundred thousand people instantly. It's like, I love that the barriers are removed and it makes things so accessible. Um, And it allows new voices to emerge, right? Like how many like extremely young artists are out there doing their thing and amassing millions of followers. That's cool. Mm. You don't need a degree anymore. You don't need a publisher. You don't need um, to be greenlit for a film. Like we don't need anyone anymore. That's really fucking cool. You don't even need to pay for Microsoft Word because we have Google Docs. Like Almost all the barriers that existed as recently as 10 years ago are gone now. Um, print on demand apparel, like the quality on that has gotten incredible. You could launch a clothing line with, with a Shopify website and, you know, a week on your laptop, Mm -hmm. which you can afford more, more readily than, than previously too. Um, but what I hate about Instagram is that, you know, it does have narrow parameters and, despite the fact that I've worked with Instagram and Facebook several times, and, and there are so many wonderful people who work for those companies who are so supportive of creatives and artists and have been so supportive of me. We're still sort of at the mercy of like an algorithm. We're still Mm -hmm. at the mercy of a huge corporation that chooses kind of when and when not to share our work with people who have opted in to see it. Um, And of course the point of that is to then try to get us to pay to promote our own content. Mm -hmm. So I mean, if you think about Instagram long enough, like there's a lot uh, to be frustrated with. And is, is that I,
0: something you'd ever do? Would you ever pay to promote your content?
2: i have I have paid um to run Facebook ads before just to promote like a like a book launch event or like yeah. when I had a Kickstarter. I've never spent more than a few hundred dollars like here and there just to like try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a social media marketer, so I'm sure that if I had hired someone or worked with a company, like they'd get the targeting exactly right. And you can do, I mean, I've purchased things that have been promoted to me in yeah, my yeah. feed. Like it works if if the right thing is shown to the right person. No, there's just a lot of moving pieces to it. And uh, I hate that I hate that we started with Instagram at the top of this podcast, but great. We got it out of the way. Yeah. I'm, and, so, uh, I'm sorry,
0: Adam. We'll edit all that out and we'll, we'll just
2: start from the beginning. If again. you could just cut this part and <laughs> stick it somewhere in the middle. No, no. I mean, I think it's important. I know that there are a lot of people who have maybe stumbled on my work on Instagram and seen it and been like, why the fuck does this dude have a quarter million followers? Like, why, like, what is it? Like there, these are words with pencil, like on a cut, like where is the talent? Where is the quality? Like, what is the deal here? And I understand that perspective. You know what I mean? Like I understand. Um, it's not always rational. It's not always logical. Sometimes, it's just doing the right thing at the right time. It's having a few f- like famous fans who share your work. Um, it is, you know, making work that is very immediately digestible. It's making work that exists beyond the scope of your community. You know, like my core audience, I'm mean, gonna have the metrics on this. Like, because um, Facebook Facebook knows what we do and can serve that um, information back to us. and and. The most popular occupations of my followers are designers and artists. It's like 15% designers and graphic artists is like a metric I just saw. Yeah. Um, but there's also just like a lot of like nice moms. You know what I mean? There's, a, there's just like a lot of like teen girls from like wherever, like it's, I'm just making nice things for nice people.
1: Mm. And Which, so what do you think it is about your content that people really resonate with?
2: People love when I just write exactly how I'm feeling down on a thing and then post it. And, and what's very odd is that now a lot of people think that's what my whole work is. My entire body of work is because they see Instagram and they're like, this is what he does. And it's like, no, that's what I do on social media because like it's fun and easy and I don't stress about it. Um, and it, it can inform my work or it, you know, represents elements of, of what my books are or what my other work looks like. But yeah, I don't know. I get it. I get that people um, see it and they don't really understand what's happening or why
0: it works. I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit there. I'm Jewish. Because, that's why. That's <laughs> just to think about us culturally. The you are you're not only an artist. You're also a writer. There's there's elements of dark comedy in your stuff, and you very clearly articulate the frustrations that. I, and I think that's probably why a lot of artists and designers resonate with your staff is because you're you're feeling these frustrations that we all feel when we're working or we're doing or we have creative output however you distill them down into these sentences that I'd probably write a blog blog post about you can write in three words and I'm like oh fucking nailed it that's mm. that's what I was thinking
2: I always think of that there was like a, a meme a couple of years ago that was like what art is like I could do that plus but you didn't
1: yeah, yeah and yeah. like
2: isn't, isn't that just the thing? Cause I see other people's work and I'm like, God damn it. That is fucking brilliant. Um, and yeah, I recognize that sometimes I've just like landed on the exact right turn of phrase at the exact right moment. And you know, that's just the way things align and you get lucky. And I will also say, I mean, I should take a step back and say, like, if you don't know what my work is like, and you're listening to this podcast, like I appreciate that this is not a fun episode for you. <laughs> um, cause I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but I, I have landed in a unique position where for the last four years I've worked for myself doing mostly my personal work. And so the work that was my hobby and my creative outlet has become what I do. And so when a brand comes to me, it's to do my thing. And when I publish, you know, when I'm making books, they're kind of exactly what I want to make. Mm-hmm. And so I have landed in this space right now where I kind of get to make what I want to make and earn an income from that. And so I don't really have to play nice. And I don't really have to bullshit. And so there are things that I'm saying on social media that, that every creative can relate to, but that not every creative can safely communicate because you don't want to alienate clients. You don't want to lose a gig. You know, I, I have really very luckily sort of created a bubble for myself where I, I feel comfortable saying things mm-hmm. and I have, you know, earned enough money from the work that I make that I'm able to say no to other money. So like, before we turned on these microphones, we were talking about a particular conference where I didn't like how I was being treated by, you know, no offense listeners, uh, like a straight cis man. And I just felt like I was being disrespected and I was like, cool. Like, I'm not going to come to your conference, take me off your website. And they did. And like, you know, maybe I burned a bridge that it would have been smarter not to burn, but So be it, like I I decided that day that I respect myself too much to feel that way. Um, And a lot of designers don't have that luxury because you know, we're all still doing that like bright and shiny bullshit persona on the internet. We're all like, I love pencils and whiskey and late nights and the pen tool. And it's like, fuck off. Like we all like those things. Like that's actually not an identity unfortunately, you don't feel like you're allowed to be yourself because that might alienate a potential client. And I really have to say, like, if there's a client that won't like, if you just admit that you're a human being, like, that's probably the wrong client for you. Because yeah. if you wanted to be making stock vector art, you could. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, my name is Adam JK, <laughs> and I'm a huge fucking bitch, uh, just not a nice person at all.
0: Look, I think it's important. I mean, so we, we certainly are in the position where our clients come to us um, for us to realise what, what they want us to do. Yeah. And we don't have the luxury of, of being in the position that you're in where it's like, it's you came to me for my staff. Mm. Um, and that's that's a, a great position to be in. And it's it's nice to hear someone who is confident enough to, to say no to clients because I think certainly when you're working with brands, they... Hold the the paycheck over you mm-hmm. like a dangling carrot, and that, uh, if you are a creative and your rent's due, they know that you'll jump through hoops.
2: Yeah, and I I should clarify too that I I do play very nicely with brands. Um, you know, I so before I was doing my thing full time, I, I worked in, in, in an internet marketing firm, I worked for a video production studio, I worked for a traditional advertising agency here in New York when I moved here, and I worked for BuzzFeed, and so. I have a background that covers a lot of like marketing language and coding and you know strategy and creative thinking and art like sometimes I get a client brief and and we this is sort of a graphic design trope too is that very often clients are coming to you and and you need to tell them what they actually want mm-hmm. and I have that all the time where the end result of what I'm going to make for that is is very simple and sort of maybe in my signature style but the effort it takes to get there often is a lot of communication with clients and dissecting what the strategy really is and presenting multiple briefs. And there's, you know, fully fleshed out creative decks and sketches. And like for a sponsored Instagram post, like one I posted this past Monday, there were like three decks. There was like four weeks of back and forth, like I have a talent manager negotiating the salary because it's a social media ad. But then the creative back and forth, because I'm trying to understand what the brief is. And like, I know how to like navigate a professional space. I'm not just like running around with my middle fingers up saying, fuck you,
0: fuck you. So the talent manager.
2: She's awesome. She is very good at representing sort of like weird social media celebrity types. Like one of her biggest clients is a dog that has more followers than you'll ever have. Um, <laughs> this dog is a New York Times bestselling author. This dog has like merchandise. Like this dog could buy and sell all of us. And she represents this dog. And also me, because um, what, what's happened over time is that I've shifted from being a traditional graphic designer to then being a designer with a product line to then being a designer slash author. And now I'm also a social media influencer. And so very often I'm paid for a creative gig, not because they want the creative, but because they want me to post the creative on Instagram. And as a result, my rates have have jumped significantly, because if you were just paying for a guy with a pencil, like mm. you would just do that in house.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they, Um, they're they're buying the billboard space from you basically.
2: Yeah. Essentially. Uh, it's a, it's such a weird thing to have to navigate because I, so I graduated with a degree in graphic design 10 years ago in 2009. This was not a thing, right? This social media influencing, that wasn't a job description. Um, if you had told me then that I would make more money posting ads on Instagram than I would at like my first salary at my first job, Like, I wouldn't have even known what to do with that information. It's a very weird world to navigate, and it does require a lot of behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. And then the end result is, like, I've written 10 words on the color pink and posted it to Instagram, and it's an advertisement for a waxing center. Yeah, that's what I posted on Monday, an ad for a a waxing center.
0: they give you free treatments, or...?
2: no but they paid me $5000 so i'll you know i'll take great. it great so
0: so that was something that we we talked about um, before we we started rolling um and you're you're quite honest and open about um getting paid and thank you for for just mentioning how much you got paid for the post there yeah how should young creatives learn how to price themselves
2: so that's really difficult and i don't think that my experience is typical and so i can't say like listen up here's how to price things um, because I haven't priced out straightforward creative work in a long time. You know what I mean? Now when people are coming to me for work, it's, it's often because they like what I do and the, and, you know, I hope, I hope that they believe in the context of who I am and, and what I believe in. And we haven't even talked about any of that. I've just been like, um, in <laughs> here, but, but it's very often also because of the, the built-in marketing that comes with having an audience and being, being someone who has a fan base, which is also something very new for me to even use that word, um, fan base or fan. So, so now when I'm pricing out work, you know, one of the first questions is, what is this? You know what I mean? If if it's a product, that's one thing, but then very often it's a social media ad, and you don't need to have two hundred thousand followers to be asked to do social media ads. You know, I have I have friends who do creative work and then after the work is done, they feel almost like this pressure from the client. Like, hey, are you gonna share that on Instagram? Like you share a lot of your creative work there. If a brand wants you to share that work because they want the kickback from your audience, mm-hmm. To me, that's an ad. And not only does a brand need to pay for an ad, but also, and I don't know what the rules are in the UK, but in the US, there's regulations around posting ads on social media and you need to legally disclose those ads. So for a brand to, one, act like it's no big deal to require a post. And two, act like it's no big deal to require a post is fucked up and literally illegal. So I think there's a lot of questions now of, you know, is this just creative. You know what I mean? Am I doing packaging for your, for your liquor brand? Um, or am I doing packaging and social media advertising? And if so, then that's a deliverable that needs to be on the brief. It's a weird fucking world. It's just a really weird time to be alive. And again, like that doesn't require having a lot of followers, like, like 10,000 followers is, is probably more than many brands have. Um, if you're a creative who does cool work, um, and you have 10,000 followers, it's, It's not unreasonable that a brand wants to tap into that. And so I think that's something to consider and, you know, to think about what value are you, are you offering? And 10,000 followers who are mainly based in London, for example, has more value to a London based brand than it would to another brand. You know what I mean? Like these are all real things. We just live in a weird murky time. Mm. So I can't tell you how to price your work, but I can tell you that if someone wants it from you, then it has value. And if it has value, it would be nice to figure out what that value is in, uh, you know, spendable currency. How
0: did you end up in New York?
2: I'm from Toronto. I'm Canadian. Uh, My family, my mother's American. And so we moved when I was a teenager to the U.S. to be closer to her side of the family. I went to university in Baltimore. I didn't go to MICA, which is the art college there, but I lived very nearby and went to some of the parties and, you know, dated guys who went to that school and was... Not very cool, still not. And I was just living in Baltimore and uh, it's a very inexpensive city to live in. And I lived in like a big dirty house with like six roommates and my rent was $300 for a bedroom and a separate studio room. And I was just like living that post-university dream where you're like a fucking dumbass and you smoke weed every day. <laughs> and then one day a friend was like, hey, do you want to just move to New York? Which was about, it's only a three hour drive. It's just a little bit further up the East Coast of the country. So he rented a van and he found our first apartment and I just moved and I was like, yeah, I'll do this. I was 23 and I was like, I don't know what else I'm doing. I'll just go to New York. And uh, I've been here over seven years now. So it turned out I moved to New York, you know, had a fun summer because there's a lot more queer people here than there were in my previous city. (laughs) Uh, Went on a lot of dates and was kind of like a monster and partied a lot. And then um sort of focused in, uh, met the man who is now my husband, got my first sort of like adult job uh, in advertising and kept building
0: from there. Do you think your jobs in advertising and marketing have shaped your, totally. your work now?
2: Yes, I'm so grateful for that experience. I think it's one thing to make something. It's another thing to think critically about how to make something. And this is something that I always value about having a graphic design background as opposed to an illustration background mm-hmm. is graphic design is all about taking the content, making it fit and, and having an end product, Mm -hmm. whether that is a legible website or a poster or book, you know, publication design. I can't draw very well, but I'm very good at thinking about what is the end product Mm -hmm. and working backwards from there. And I find, you know, I've, I've spoken in in art colleges, I've, I've done critiques with like brilliant illustrators. I mean, people, I, I wish, you know what I mean? I wish I had talent like that. Mm -hmm. But they aren't always trained to think about the end result. And sometimes it doesn't matter how beautiful a work is um, if it's not functional. So I'm really grateful for that design background and then the advertising and marketing background just to think a little bit strategically about things, to to think about what kind of questions should I be asking before I start a project. I recently designed a tarot deck called the OK Tarot. And it's called that because the illustrations are, are only okay. They're not the best. Uh, yeah. um, they're they're fine. They're okay. Originally, it was going to be called Shitty Tarot, and then I <laughs> thought it needed to be a little bit more optimistic. Before doing that project, I researched dozens of artist made tarot decks to see what was out there in terms of the illustration style, the production um, colors, and you know size specs. To make sure that i could offer something that was unique but also so that i wouldn't step on any other artist's toes Mm -hmm. Um, because i think we all know what it feels like when someone makes something a little too close to your work and you're just like excuse me sir so these are all things that i feel um i was prepared for with previous work and that's really you know this is a bit of a tangent but that's really why i encourage people to have a day job um one thing that people Ask often is you know how do you quit your day job? I I want to work for myself. Like mm-hmm. that's awesome. Like fuck having a job. I don't I don't agree. I think working collaboratively, working on a team, even if you're that junior designer, even if you're that entry level position, is so valuable. And yes, you are working so hard. And yes, people above you uh, seem to be getting the credit. It's because you are a cog in a machine, and that is exactly how you learn how to do things. I built so many presentation decks when I worked in advertising. I built hundreds of strategy and and TV script decks and it was so fucking boring. I was just like an InDesign robot. Mm -hmm. And now when I send over rounds of sketches and concepts um, to pitch a new book, to pitch client work, to pitch a brand collaboration, even to pitch a sponsored Instagram post, I know how to build a fucking legible professional deck. And people get that and they're like, wow, I, I see what you post on Instagram. I didn't think I was going to be getting a eight page deck that communicates, you know, your intention here. You know, I feel like everyone's just sort of like golf clapping for me. Like, wow, Adam JK, he knows how to exist. I um, feel
0: like if you put those decks out in the real world, your audience would be very grateful for that.
2: I think that I don't know that I would do that necessarily, but I think I, that I understand that. But. I think there are. I think that that is a great lesson and a great takeaway from this podcast. Now that I've stopped screaming about other things is, is presentation really does matter. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And I am not the best at presentation. Um, up until very recently, I had a six year old website that started as a joke and just didn't really communicate my whole deal. But I mean, what what I'm known for now is so simple and it really is about creating the context and understanding that gives value to your work. And you know, I don't know, like, like what is David Shrigley? You know what I mean? Like how does that happen? It's, it's about context, it's about a body of work, it's playing with scale and it's about collaborations and point of view and, and all of that. There's a lot of work out there that you're kind of like, wow, I could do this. And it's like, yeah, you could. I hope that you do. Yeah,
0: exactly. I like the fact that your website was a joke because that's that's so you. And like it kind of almost gets funnier over time the longer that it's left. Yeah. If you see what I mean.
2: I think that's true. So I just recently launched a new website. And the only reason I did this is because Wix.com paid me to use Wix. Oh. And like honestly, I feel like someone at Wix was like, guys. There's this artist, Adam JK, and he needs help. <laughs> and it seems like he's very hesitant to launch a new website. What if we pay him and also build it for him? Cause it, I just kept pushing it off my to-do list, but my website was sort of a play on like early internet, like HTML. And so it was Times New Roman on white with like red underlines, default colors. And over time I realized that there was a barrier to entry where like you had to understand my whole deal to understand that the website was a joke. And I had, um, like marketing people from penguin be like, Hey, like, it would be great if you like updated your website, please. (laughs) Um, and it it just over time I realized that the internet is so big that people weren't giving me that time anymore. Like Mm. people don't really have the time to figure out what my deal is. And Instagram's made Instagram again. Uh, Instagram's made that more clear too where I have a lot of followers who have no idea who I am, what I do are shocked to hear that I've made a book. I'll get tagged in an Instagram post. That's like, I was at a bookstore and I saw a book by Adam JK. This is crazy. And I'm just like, it's been out for five years. It's been translated into 17 languages. There's a half million copies in print. Thank you. But then part of me is also like so excited that a person even recognizes it at all too. So as
1: people join at different times of your journey, like people- Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, you'll have had people who've been there for like 10 years or something, and then there'll be the people who found you yesterday. And all they know is that one post that they saw yesterday. And I'm, you know what? I really love that. I think it's
2: really special Mm -hmm. to be able to just like, reach people at any time or to have a piece of an old piece of work take on its own life. Mm -hmm. But this reminds me that last year I got an order in my online shop and that, you know, the customer left like a note to the seller and the note was, hey, Adam, I added you on MySpace in 2004. You don't know me, but I've been a fan of you since, et cetera, et cetera. Like in 2004, I was 17. So this is someone who's just like kind of kept up with what I'm up to for 13 years, and that is wild.
0: And they're only saying hello now. Were they shy, or I guess so? I
2: I did look up who it was, and it's just like a guy from like the middle of the United States. Just like, hey
0: man, like how great is that?
2: You're you're just a person who's doing stuff.
0: That's that's I guess that's the power of the internet and. I know that again to harp on the Instagram but I guess that's why so many especially creatives are are obsessed with it is because they see it as a way out it's a lifeline Uh, because as you said before all all of a sudden the gatekeepers are removed yeah and you now have the ability with with a device in your pocket and and, an app to create your own future and that's
2: I mean, I think that's a little hyperbolic, right? Like you can't put all your eggs in one basket, Mm -hmm. but you're, you're really not wrong either. Um, I think building a following is important for creatives because it gives you an audience um, when you are ready to self publish Mm -hmm. anything. And it does also help you reach clients or at least impress them to an extent. And it's not necessarily... I'm not getting choked up. I have something in my throat. If you're listening, <laughs> uh, I'm not about to cry about it's the emotional. importance of Instagram. But yeah, I mean, I, I recognize that it it is important and it is really beneficial. At the same time, it's it's not a replacement for doing good work. Mm-hmm. So, and if I had to pick, like, build a social media following or make work that that I believe in, that I think is cool, that makes me happy, like, I'll go for option number two. And I absolutely. Could have a larger following on social media if I just did exactly what people like over and over again. You know what I mean? I've thought about this so many times, especially after my time at BuzzFeed. Mm -hmm. Um, At BuzzFeed, I really learned the value of like landing on something that people like, making it pretty fucking easy to digest, and then just shitting it out over and over and over again. And uh, I've never actually done that for my own social media but I did shift to like bright colors. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know what I mean? I did. I made small tweaks that have helped me grow. Yeah. I don't know. I very often wonder like, should I just stop posting any photos altogether? Should I just only do the thing that people like? Should I just get more positive? You know, should I just make stuff designed to be texted to your mom? And I don't know. I don't think, I don't think that would make me happy
0: so at the end of the day that's what it's all about is, yeah. is happiness although it? maybe having a million
2: followers would make me happy would that cure my depression do you think I, it's hard to say
0: I, I think probably yes yeah. yeah
2: Yeah. if there's a if there are any therapists out there sorry not therapists psycholo- psychiatrists let me know it's a studio at adamjk.com he's
0: such a fucker
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um. so are you happy
2: hmm <laughs> uh I mean, I don't know. That's a hard question. I am the happiest I've ever been. That's great. Yeah. Mm. That, and that is something I can say confidently. And it is a really amazing thing to say and to feel. But I mean, it's it's hard, you know, that's that's a hard question. I think everyone is on their own journey in life. And I think being the happiest you've ever been is like a wonderful place to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it takes, it takes work. And it's, I think we're all, we're all a work in progress and we're going through this. I mean, when you think about what life is, it's absolutely fucking balmy. And the fact that Instagram even exists is just the fact that phones exist. The fact that we connected over the internet and now we're sat in your, in your apartment in, in New York and we're from London. It like, yeah. we got in a big metal bird and flew across the sky. To, I mean, think about that every time I'm on an airplane, I'm like, how is this possible? Yeah,
2: and then I look at a computer in my pocket, and I'm like, "Oh right, technological yeah. advancement."
0: I was reading something the other day. It put the the human it put human history on a timeline, and if you make the whole of human history one year, then we were hunter gatherers up until November. Wow! And then everything from from then on is like September so literally we've had computers for like 30 seconds.
2: Yeah. yeah. All of it is is really wild. The fact that we're alive at all is is pretty incredible. Um yeah, if you're just tuning in, we are talking about God, um
1: Metal
0: Birds,
2: Metal bird, God's Jesus Christ.
0: I mean, anyone who's listening um has been listening from the beginning. They don't they I wouldn't know have just No, that that's true. I think people skip in a podcast. No.
1: I don't think they do, unless like people think we've had a 40-minute ad at the start, and they're like, fuck, listen to that, and go straight to... I do love
2: Dropbox. (laughs) You can edit that out and put any brand you want. I'll just say a bunch of brands. Say a bunch of
0: brands. And we'll just just put them in at various intervals. What if I just
2: do every vowel sound and you can cut it up? Oh, my God, I found an illustrator this week who has cut out the alphabet from my work and rearranged it into new inspirational memes using my backgrounds and my color palette. So this
0: Absolutely was something I wanted to ask
2: unhinged. you
1: about. Yeah. So they've basically made a f- your font as a- Yeah,
2: they they just are making like fake Adam JKs, but they insisted and we I, I messaged her. Um, I don't know her age. I'm, I'm assuming she's younger. And I messaged her about this. And listen, a lot of people have handwriting. There are so many mm-hmm. artists and contemporaries, and, and some of them I'm friends with and some I don't know. There's Amalia Andrade. There's Timothy Goodman. There's Amber Iberesh. There's Austin Cleon. Like There's Coco Captain. There's Jim Joe. There's so many people who are just writing in all capital letters. Mm-hmm. And, and they have distinct bodies of work. So when I see my handwriting, I know it. Yeah. And it was my handwriting, and I messaged her, and she was like, No, you know, I wrote an alphabet and then photographed it, and then I've been using my own handwriting. And I was just like, You haven't been. And also, there's stray pixels from like a shitty JPEG export. Yeah. Like, I know that you found like a poor, like, she found like one of my specific posts, um, and obviously had been like re uploaded to Pinterest later. Like, it was just, ah, oh, for her to double down on that was so sad and weird. Because it's one thing to inspire someone's work. Mm-hmm. I think we all learn by seeing things that we like. Um, oh, I forgot so many people who who also do handwriting. <laughs> David Trigley, Nathaniel Russell, Nathaniel Russell, uh, Tucker Nichols, Kate Bingman Burt. Like there's there's so many Hiller Goodspeed. Like these are all arts that I love. Um and and sometimes I'll make something and I'll be like, oh no, this looks like a Shrickley. I can't yeah. do this. You know what I mean? And I and I won't. Um, but no, this was, this was my work cut up and remixed and it also looked completely different from her other work. And I was just trying to very politely be like, Hey, like you can get away with stealing another artist's work, but then you're always going to be the person that stole another artist's work. Like you're never going to have a unique point of view. You're never going to have a chance to figure out what your work is about. And you might make money now or get followers now, but like that's not a life. Like you can't, there's no growth there. Mm. Like we're not artists because it's fun to be an artist. We're artists because we're wired this way. Like being an artist kind of sucks. Like it's, you're constantly measuring your happiness by your productivity. You're constantly trying to transmute experiences into like tangible documents that you could hold on to forever. You like are unable to live in a moment because you're always formulating a tweet or a photo or a collage or a zine or an essay that you're going to write about the experience. Like, do you guys pre-write tweets in your head as you're living things? I'll like see something happen in the street and I'm already like wording it out in (laughs) 280 (laughs) characters. Like, Being an artist is fucking. It's it's a personality type, and not everyone's brain is wired this way. And so, I just can't imagine being this type of person um, and making work that is painstakingly stolen from someone else, mm. and then living with myself
0: and living in fear of constantly being and then, but then being rumbled and just not having any remorse. It's very yeah, strange. I mean, it only goes so far with I... It. Mean,
2: I I can't imagine if I had ripped off an artist. I mean, I don't think that I'm a big deal. You know what I mean? Like people don't really know. I'm not special. I don't walk down the street and like get stopped on the corner. But, you know, I have a lot of followers and a lot of posts and a verified Instagram account. And I DM'd this young girl who has 300 followers. And I just feel like if the person whose work I stole
0: messaged me directly,
2: clearly from like their own real account, like if there was a sort of like verifiable clarity there. I think I would be fucking terrified and I wasn't, I wasn't rude. I was really gentle because I genuinely felt bad. Like it, it was weird. It was sad. And I was like, Hey, like, you know, this really isn't, isn't cool. Like I am so flattered, but like, this isn't it, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like this ain't it chief chief. Like I don't, I don't what, and, and she doubled down on the lie. And so I sent the original, which was like very clearly lifted from. And she was like, no, I, that's not it. And I'm like, stop lying. Like, let me overlay the pixels. Like it is it. This is it. Mm. It was so weird. Oh, but you know what? Weird shit happens to me all the time. That just is a product of, of making work and putting it on the internet. Weird things will happen. What's the
1: weirdest shit that's ever happened to you?
2: I mean, one of the weirdest things (laughs) is like a sealed legal settlement that I can't talk about, but you know, if you Google it happened to a friend of mine, um, I was it was me and a friend Tuesday Bassett. And if you Google both of our names, you will find articles from from BBC and, and every other uh, global media outlet. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been ripped off so many times and like my work's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really need to rip it off. So why would you? I don't know.
0: Was this the first time that an actual, that you've seen an actual artist stealing your work because normally it's brands? Uh,
2: No, I mean, this is just the first time that the theft was like very deliberate. Um, But I I mean, I've seen artists who, who I know are fans of my work, who have maybe been following me for years, make something that is very inspired by my work. And that doesn't always feel great, but objectively is not something I can be upset about. Mm Cause I didn't invent handwriting or aphorisms and the simpler my work gets, you know, the, the more closely aligned to other work it's going to be. And also it's a real privilege to inspire another person. That really is what my creative journals are, right? I've made these two interactive journaling books that are about helping people find their own inspiration to dig within themselves and to make art that can make them feel better. Um, you know, they're, they're really about art therapy and mental health. Like that's, I've really built my career on that. So I don't get upset um, when I see someone who's just like inspired and and sort of knocking something out that feels good, you know, unless they're selling it or unless like this one woman is going to like, you know, just lie to my face. Like that's different. Um, I sort of forgot what the question was as I was going.
0: Um, It was, well, you've answered it. It was just talking about sort of artists um, stealing work as opposed to brands. Um, Obviously you've been involved with quite a few brands that thought it's just like even just thinking it's okay to just post your stuff on their Instagram because like, because, Hey, this is relatable. Our followers would love this and and kind of just feeling that they have the right to use your stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's different. That's a different kind of, of intellectual property theft as well is, is like that reposting culture. Um, and this is also something where I think just because of the privilege of, of being where I am at, in my career, and also not fully relying on other clients for money all the time. Um, although I do, I would like money, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have called out some big brands um, for for reposting content because if you were a magazine and you reprinted my art, that would be very clearly illegal, and I could sue you for that. So if you're a magazine and you repost my art on your Instagram, which objectively has way more viewers than your print magazine. Why is that not illegal? Mm. Um, And the answer is that technically it is. Uh, It's just, it's harder to enforce. Um, And there have been brands that have used my work without attribution and I have gone after them and I have in two instances been paid by them um, because it is really illegal. But uh, I'm also not, I, I do want people to share my work and I do like sharing this kind of work on social media so that people can use it to speak through mm-hmm. which is also you know very much in line with what my printed books are it's mm-hmm. it's about creating tools for communication and for for saying something that's often hard to say i
1: think um, your work does say things so perfectly it does really like you can read stuff and it's like yes that's- you can
2: just repost it. i mean that's kind of yeah. like what a greeting card is right it's like You can just send this thing to a friend or or repost it and be like, here's how I'm feeling today. So I I don't mind at all when brands do that. And I have, you know, posted online, like sort of a guideline for how to do this. And essentially I have said, if you credit me fairly and deliberately in a Mm -hmm. way that might gain me some new followers, I'll consider that fair compensation Mm -hmm. and allow you to do that. Even if you're like, you know, a, a major publication, even if you are... A, a huge brand with a massive audience. I'm letting you do this mm-hmm. for for zero dollars, and uh, and it's been cool. You know, sometimes people, big accounts post your work and you get a lot of followers out of it, and and you're like, sweet, this what a great deal.
0: And I guess sometimes it's just it's just the intern that was posting, and they've I, been given the social media and they just didn't know.
2: I'm so tired of people talking about this. Again, like I worked at BuzzFeed, which is like regarded by many as like one of the big sort of media companies on the internet. It's never an intern. You know, we always say this, like it's the intern running. It's like, it's not the intern running the public face of your media company or brand maybe if you're a really small company, you do have like a, a social media marketing intern. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then that's someone who is good at social media marketing and and does kind of know yeah. how to do it uh, and does know that it's not legal. Um, and there are times when brands are like, oh, we didn't know you made this or we didn't know this wasn't okay. And my response to that is like, okay, it's that doesn't change the fact that you did something wrong and you have to deal with it, right? Like if you accidentally do something illegal, the the police aren't just like, well, you didn't know better (laughs) or you're young. It's like still go to jail for murder. Like, I don't know, like murders happen by accident. You're still going to court. I'm not saying that reposting my pink meme is the equivalent to murder, (laughs) (laughs) but I am saying that like, it's our job to to educate those who are running our corporate accounts. Mm -hmm. And I have sent very strongly worded emails to the effect of like, Hey, I'm not going to pursue legal action here because like, it's a meme, but you need to train your staff better. Um, and in the case of, of one brand recently that did pay me, they were like, we are going to reach out to all of our global offices that are running these localized accounts. Cause it was like a brand that had like a Canadian account and like the Netherlands and other countries. Um, we are going to make sure that everyone understands how this works. Mm -hmm. Um, and great. Happy to trigger that education for your staff.
0: Do you think it comes down to meme culture? Because when you think of like a meme meme, that's made by someone like who's probably quite clever. Like mm-hmm. some of these meme writers are geniuses, but they just sort of let their work go out there into the world and no one gets credit yeah. for a meme. You'd never know who made most big memes, I suppose.
2: It's such an interesting thing. Um, because also memes typically are, are you know, someone has without permission lifted someone else's content and mash it up and you're using maybe video clips or gifs or audio that are owned by like major studios or recording artists, um, or like a stranger's baby, you know, smiling at a, whatever, at a dog. Um, so the original creators aren't credited. And then the person who's made the meme often isn't credited. Um, it's a weird world. I don't know the speci- I don't necessarily know even how I feel about it yet. I mean, when I was at Buzzfeed, I, remember conversations to the effect of like me being like, Hey, can we do this? Like this, like technically isn't this illegal? And I had come from an ad agency where like, if we used a font that wasn't licensed for commercial use, like we were fucked. Like I remember at the very last minute when I realized this is so bad. Um, So I was a studio designer. I was like the lowest possible tier. And I realized that one of the executive creative directors had sold through a major out of home campaign using a font from DaFont.com, And the client signed off on it. Like everyone, like it, it was going to go to print. And I was like, I needed the font file for something. And I was like, Hey, where can I get the font? And and it was like, Oh, just download it from here. And I was like, what? Like stop <laughs> the presses. Like I'm 24 years old, but like stop the presses. Like we can't fucking do that. Dumbass. Um, I hope he doesn't listen to this. He was a nice person and and I was a little shit truly. Um, And I didn't say it quite as forcefully because I was also very scared when I had a job. Um, It's hard to be around that many straight men. I just like, I don't know. I never feel like I belong. Um, Anyway, Copyright is important (laughs) and we understand that in a, in an advertising context. So I don't know why we don't understand that in like a meme context and also like brands make memes and like fuck Jerry is like a 20 person media company. Like nothing happens by accident anymore. Like everything is fabricated and like, I think copyright should matter through and through. I try very hard to respect copyright in every way that I can. And so there was that meme, the stock photo meme of like the man turning away from his girlfriend to look at a hot girl. And I did a version of that one when that meme was trending and I left the photographer's name in the meme. I left the credit because like that was someone's photo. And I was like, I'm not going to not do that. And my meme still traveled. It still, still succeeded. Um, but also I don't, I don't hand letter other people's quotes, which a lot of people do. And I Mm -hmm. think is, you know, it's okay to, to, illustrate a popular quote, but I don't do that either because I feel like if it's not my words, if it's not 100% original, Mm -hmm. it just feels wrong to me. And so that's a choice that I've made for myself. And, you know, 10 years from now, maybe I will just want money and I'll do a book of famous quotes. And if that day comes, like, don't hold me to this. I think it, it comes down to our personal choices. Like only we know when we are inspired by something or when we are copying something directly. I like to say that the difference between inspiration and imitation is intention. And, uh, and that's really it. It's like, what, what were you trying to do? And so have I made work that, that is reminiscent of other people's work? Yeah, for sure. Cause my work's simple and it's out there, but, um, have I ever deliberately riffed on someone else's work, um, in a malicious way? Like, no, I don't think there's anything I've ever made with, two exceptions where I feel like i fucked up. Do you want to know what the exceptions are now? Of course we do. Okay. <laughs> uh, so a couple years ago, I saw a really brilliantly worded quote about body positivity and shaming people for what they wear when like the weather's hot. Mm-hmm. And it was like a screenshot of a text post that I saw on Facebook. And I worked very hard to track down the original source and couldn't find it. And it just seemed like it was one of those things that was out there mm-hmm. Which, as I'm saying it now in my head, I'm screaming like that's not an excuse. But I handwrote it and I shared it because I loved it so much, <clears throat> and that was fucked up. And I have since found the original person, and they they said they didn't care and it was cool. And when I reposted it once after that, I did include their original. They asked me to link their Tumblr, so I did. The second time is when I handwrote an Alanis Morissette quote because I love her so much. And she is a fan of mine. That's an insane phrase to utter. Um, <laughs> she's, she's written a blurb for my last book and she has some of my work and is the hero of my life. I've never met her, but one day it's going to happen. I feel very confident about that. She's actually the background in my phone. That's Alanis Morse. I can
0: confirm. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's also the same. That's the same image. as the background on my laptop and my desktop and all my computers going back for about
1: seven years. Where did that love start from?
2: Oh, I mean, I was just like a, like a preteen in Canada hearing Alanis Morissette on, on the radio and on TV and just like her power with words. Mm-hmm. And that's someone who has found a way to transmute really difficult life experiences into simple, although sort of robust and wordy phrases and, and statements, and then sneak them into pop music and and just mash them into our brains forever Mm. and to me pop music is so powerful and i really equate a lot of what i'm sharing at least on instagram like those memes to me those are that's like a visual pop song it's like bright and shiny and then you read it again and you're like oh you know when i first saw that that was like an optimistic thing but now i'm seeing it through a different lens or a different mood and like oh he's talking about suicide isn't Mm. he and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, "That's right, bitch. That's like, what we're talking about here."
0: It's like that line in the Outcast song, where it's like, um, "You don't want to hear me; you just want to dance." Mm. And it's like, yeah, we're we're taught talk- because I mean, artists, singers are they're laying out their their troubles and their heartbreaks, and but put a catchy melody behind it, and and it, that's genius
2: because what an amazing and powerful way to help people, to let people know that they're not alone, is to like hide. I always think of like uh, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down because that's really what (laughs) it is, right? It's like, I make very cute, friendly, accessible work often about difficult, difficult sentiments and difficult feelings. And that's why I do it. And I do it because it helps me. And if it helps me, maybe it'll help someone else. And that's also why I don't just make like, have a great day. Like, happy Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, All I want is a burger and a milkshake meme. Like, yeah. Gotta have my coffee. Coffee
0: o'clock. And all yeah, that yeah. Like yeah. that's
2: why I don't do that shit. It's cause like that doesn't say anything. Um, there's nothing to it. So I love Alanis Morissette and I, I did handwrite one of her things and it is actually in one of my books and I don't think that she would mind. Um, I also have sent her that book, but I remember thinking like, we need to take this out of the book. And I yeah. emailed my editor and I was like, before publication, I was like, I, I don't think this can stay. And, uh, and it was never taken out. And
1: well, if you send it to her and she's a fan, then I also
2: thank her at the end of the book <laughs> yeah. anyway, like just anyways. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, I think it's fine. And also there, you know, parody law and also like, you know, like technically I think it is allowed. It just goes against what I think I yeah. personally believe. Because certainly like remixing is is allowed and, and collage. And like, I don't know the exact percentage of like how different a work needs to be. Maybe the girl who cuts out my handwriting is allowed to do it.
0: I don't, I don't know. You'll probably hate me for this one, but can we talk about when you got fired from BuzzFeed?
2: We sure can. Actually, <laughs> uh, I signed a non-disparagement agreement. So I'm not allowed to say things that are like overtly negative about my experience. I don't think
1: happy spit on it. (laughs)
2: Um, no, I mean, I don't know. They're never gonna, they're never going to like, I mean, they just laid off 300 people. Yeah, That's the funny thing about, about Buzzfeed is like some of the stuff they've done in the way, some of like the business choices they've made have been so odd because like, what do you do when you piss off some of the most vocal and visible people on the whole internet? Mm. Like the people who are still at Buzzfeed are trying to form a union to protect themselves. And I guess they had a scheduled meeting with like the heads of BuzzFeed and the representatives of this perspective, like a BuzzFeed union that they want to do. And five minutes before the meeting, they sent an email that was like, we won't be coming to this meeting. And so five minutes after that email, the whole Internet knew. And it's just like you. That is that is dumb. Mm. That's just like, how are you going to like I remember there's so many weird things that they've done where they've laid off like extremely visible people. And yeah, I don't know. But no, I was fired from BuzzFeed because I just was a bad fit. I really was a bad fit. And there were so many times when my manager was like, hey, this thing that you did is really cool. Like you should just do more versions of this. And I would just be like, I don't want to. You know, I felt like there was a lot of pressure to make like positivity kind of content. And that's not really what I'm about. And, you know, could I have succeeded if I... Were more into cats and pizza. Yes. (laughs) Could I have also succeeded in the work environment if I was just less real with people? You know what I mean? I I had worked at a very small agency of about 40 people and then went to a company. I mean, BuzzFeed was like over a thousand people at that time. There were at least 300 people in that office. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know how to act in an environment like that. I didn't know that it's high school and that you have to just be like really false yeah. with everyone and be super nice. And I, I just didn't know that that's how that world works. And so I was not well liked by the members of my team and I was very depressed all the time. And it's crazy. Cause that's a dream job for a lot of people. A lot yeah, of creatives absolutely. think like, wow, what a brilliant job, like well paid. And there's, there's an ice cream freezer and catered lunch. And you're going to get verified on Twitter and you're going to have millions of people see your work. But uh, three weeks after I got hired, I came home and I said to my husband, I'm going to get fired from this job. And he was like, no, don't say that. Like, you know, give it time. Like, don't be defeatist. And I was like, I'm telling you now I will be fired from this job. And that's OK because there is a severance and it's fine. I'm going to get fired. And eight months later, I was fired. And yeah, I just knew it was that's the thing—is you can have that dream job, and realize that it's not your dream.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think being fired for, um, from what I know about your your past from in researching you, um, it seems like that was the catalyst for you to—and it was the reason I asked the question. Really, was that the, was the catalyst for you to actually go out on your own and start? Yeah,
2: yeah. I I was very afraid to to go out on my own for a long time because I really value a day job. The best part of having a day job is that you have a steady income so you can make dumb shit. Mm. I would, the entire time I had jobs, I was spending, you know, some people go on vacation, some people spend a lot of money on booze or clothes or nice stuff. I would spend my money on printing. You know what I mean? I was printing balloons and, and keychains and novelty products. Like I was building what I, I didn't realize really was a brand. I was just making art and having fun. And um, when you don't desperately need to sell your greeting card line, you can make some fucked up greeting cards. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so I made weird stuff that no one asked for because I didn't really need it to sell. But I was very afraid to do that full time. And, you know, I got fired at BuzzFeed because I was a bad fit for like the culture of my specific team. But also I was always having to take off work. You know what I mean? Like my man I would have to like email my, man- my manager, like, Hey, um, like, so sorry. Can I leave an hour early? And she'd be like, why? And I was like, um, this is so embarrassing. Um, I'm doing a book signing at the museum of modern art tonight. You know what I mean? Like mic drop, like, I don't like, I don't know what was wrong with me. Like, of course I needed to leave Buzzfeed, but also if your coworker is constantly being like, hey, sorry, I have to leave to go do a book signing at MoMA. Like, yeah, you're going to hate that. Like, I understand in retrospect that like, of course I was (laughs) hated. Like I, you know, people would send like an all company email like, hey, there's, there's donuts in the kitchen. And I would be like, Hey, everyone, like, do you want to come to my launch party at Urban Outfitters Art Space? Like, of course, everyone fucking hated me. I would hate me too. So, (laughs) yes, I went into a, a work environment that I didn't understand and was inadvertently very cocky in a way that I don't think I had a grasp on and also was making work that I hated and also... I don't need a catered lunch. This is the last thing I'll say (laughs) about, and this isn't specific to BuzzFeed. This is a lot of like office environments. I don't, I'd rather not have a free lunch because it's not a free lunch. It's just like a stay in the office. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more like weird and animalistic than like fighting over like whatever, the make your own taco station with like 300 people that you work with and suddenly like adult men are babies. And then also you're never like, I just don't need that. And certainly I don't need to be depressed in a negative office environment and have access to an ice cream freezer. Like I, <laughs> I gained 20 pounds at that job because I was just stress eating all the time. It was so bad. Yeah, I really hated working there. And again, to clarify, it's not because it was a bad company. I'm not disparaging the company. It just wasn't the right fit It was for you, the yeah. wrong fit for me. Yeah. Mm. And people maybe look at what I make and think like, oh, he would kill at BuzzFeed. What a great fit. It was terrible. Mm, yeah. It was, and, it was and some and of about the finding, worst I felt
0: about myself. It's about finding where you where you do belong. And I think yeah. um, certainly when I, I was working regular jobs, I knew that it wasn't for me. And I knew I had to come and do my own thing. And even though starting your own business is the fucking hardest thing on the planet, like it, that was what I had to do. Because I yeah. I just I would have died if I'd still been selling mobile phones to people.
2: I've got to be clear, though. I liked working in advertising. And I worked 60 hours a week. We would work through weekends. Mm. Sometimes it was awful. But when I look back on that time, it was so fun to, to sit around and then shit out what became like a brand's entire campaign. And I worked at Barton F. Graff, which was started by Jerry Graff, who is an industry legend. And you know, one—it was like two a.m. and he was just joking with with one of the ECDs and was like, "Adam, comp this up, like we're we're working." It was the brand was Tomcat, which is like a a rat killer, like okay. like rat poison. Yeah. And he was like, "Comp this up, like it's a puppet theater, but the puppets are taxidermy dead rats." And I'm like, you know, on Google, like grabbing you know whatever images for just like an internal purposes yeah. pitch. And uh, they ended up selling a campaign of like the most deranged commercials of debt. It was called Tomcat, Tomcat, dead mouse theater. And it was just commercials of taxidermied rats. It was insane. And it was so cool to see that happen. And of course it wasn't just like a two second thing. It was like months of strategy and research and positioning. And of course, like a career of, of that kind of creative thinking on, on, His part, But that was fun. I would totally work in advertising again. And a lot of people who are fans of my work are art directors and copywriters. And I meet people who are like, man, I wish I could go do my own thing. And uh, I think you can do your own thing, but also you can do some really cool, weird shit. Like everything that Wyden and Kennedy does. I just saw an ad that they were doing for, they did for, I think they're still the agency for KFC. It was a KFC ad where Colonel Sanders is dancing... To the song from Footloose with Mrs. Butterworth, who is like a maple syrup mascot um, and the bottle shaped like a woman. And he's like lifting this bottle up and spinning and it was to advertise chicken and waffles. And I was just like, advertising is brilliant sometimes. Like, it's so fun. So, yeah, I'm I would gladly work at advertising again, I think probably in like a, a broader strategy or creative concepting mm. role, you know, do I think I'm going to be making inspirational memes forever? No. Do I think that I'll, I'll keep making books forever? No, I really don't. Yeah. Jobs are great. <laughs> I don't know if you expected me to be like, I I think having a job is wonderful. Yeah. Um, Buzzfeed was the wrong job for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Totally. Again, it's it's the uh, the overarching theme of our podcast is always happiness. Find your own happiness. And yeah. if you're, yeah, if for a lot of people that is a nine to five, it just is. Yeah. stability is can, if you can, if you can be so in, in so the unoriented. right place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, we, we have 15 members of staff and like they're, they're happy. Well, yeah. at least we hope they are. They tell us yeah. they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a dark with that. Yeah. <laughs> or something. Like that. I mean,
2: there's always, there's listen, a job is always a job. There's always going to be hard parts, yeah. but the fact that you can, that you've experienced with that and that you can be a good boss and create a work environment that yeah. is collaborative, you know, you that quite, feels right. Yeah. That's important. And, um, I don't have any employees. I really can't imagine that because I Mm -hmm. feel a little bit too insane to be a good manager. Just speaking objectively, like I have a lot of my own shit. I don't know if I could also help manage someone else's emotional well-being. You'd have to ask my husband about that, (laughs) I guess. He's not here probably for a reason. Yeah, that's very cool that you can create a workspace for people. And there, there are great jobs out there. And there are people out there who really want you to have the chance to learn and thrive. And I'm grateful to those people. There have been people who have given me a chance. Yeah. And I quit that advertising job because my first book was coming out and I needed time. I, I wasn't ready to not have a day job, but I did need an easier day job. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I left. But before I left, they offered me a promotion to switch me to an art director role and I would have been working on like TV campaigns. And and that would have been really cool and my life would be so different. And it came with a raise, it wasn't just a title. like. That was really cool because someone was like, hey, we see that there's more than building decks here. Like, you could do this. And I'm really grateful for that person. But then I immediately quit. He wasn't
0: thrilled. So to wrap this up, I would urge anyone listening to this to get your creative journals because I think they're fucking brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I think they are like, certainly our audience would find them so useful. Um, I think so, too. I mean, I'm being ob- like objectively, yeah. maybe not one page at a
2: time, which is like, unfortunately, that's the one that's most widely available in the UK. You'll have to import the others. Yeah. But, uh, pick me up is great. And things are what you make of them. It's like a succinct version of what these two hours have been.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think they're brilliant. And you very nicely in those books distill down, um, advice for creatives for around all of us Cause we're all fucking neurotic mental people Totally. and sorry listeners but you know it's true and so um, <laughs> you're fucking nuts I'm sorry Yeah. so how could you leave our audience with um, one piece of advice that you just think might be useful to them
2: my number one advice for young creatives is when you're picking a domain name or branding yourself please don't do like adamkurtzdesign.com because you might think you're a graphic designer today as I did um, and it turns out that you're something else so don't label yourself too quickly. Um, because you are closing the doors on a lot of potential opportunities.
0: I thought it was gonna be like really mindset and it's like super practical. It's like, super yeah, yeah. Right yeah. Fucking you
2: are Like out. here it is. Like just don't <laughs> just use your own name. Like just don't everything
0: else will work itself out.
2: Yeah, truly. Yeah. Everything else everything else will work itself out. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. Thanks so much, dude.
2: If you like this episode, check out our partners at DropBot. And also,
0: where can people find you online? Oh, uh, just Adam JK on everything. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you
1: know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction,
0: pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever. If you can leave us an iTunes review, it makes a huge difference. See ya.